0: What's up meeples, on today's episode we discuss the inclusion of intellectual property in the tabletop hobby, whether it has had a positive or negative effect, and whether games that carry an IP are all just a big cash cow. Along with all your usual weekly news and Kickstarter campaigns, this is the podcast with Crawley Gaming Community. Welcome back to the show guys, my name is Jason and I am Ian. And we are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. Along with Paul in the CGC newsroom, we would love to welcome you to our podcast.
1: So put the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's kick things off this week with a few cardboard-based goodies that either graced our welcome mats or tortured our bank account.
0: My uh, my, my bank balance took a bit of a hammering this week. I bought a fair <laughs> few games, um, and the first one that, uh, that turned up was actually a Kickstarter back to last year. And that was the uh, arrival of the Battle Systems Fantasy scenery pledge cool that I have for my war games at the, uh, at the club so that was uh, that was funded back in July 2019 uh, it's a lot lar- it's basically it's a large range of modular cardboard fantasy buildings and other scenery pieces for 28 mil to 35 mil war games um I actually have two different sets, which is why there's such an astronomical amount because (laughs) each set can nicely fill a 6x4 gaming table, and if you combine the two together, which you can do because they're very similar, it's going to be a really densely populated 6x4 table with multiple levels.
1: I'm sure you've got many club members looking forward to that one once we're back up and running.
0: I think they will be because this will be the first time they hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's a pretty good system. It all sort of clips together with, with plastic clips, or what I'm probably going to do for the durability of the club I might PVA some certain buildings together so that they're a bit more durable for the amount of times they're going to be going in and out of a scenery box but uh, yeah that turned up earlier on this week and I was very excited
1: cool so uh, one game that I've had that's come fairly recently is a um, I bought it on the second hand market is a game called Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters nice um It's a small little board game. Plays in about half an hour. It's got really good reviews. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to try it yet. But the basic pretense is pretty much an unofficial version of um, Luigi's Mansion. You've got some (laughs) kids going into a haunted um, house trying to... Get as much treasure as they can whilst being attacked by millions of ghosts. Nice, so.
0: nice. I will say, you let me have a look in the in the box of it earlier, and I, I like the minis that are in it. Yeah, little ghost minis. They're pretty cool.
1: Lovely family game, this one.
0: Yeah, definitely. Is it? Uh, what's what's the age age rating on it? Uh, eight plus. Eight plus. Nice. Two to four players. Yep.
1: And a half hour play time.
0: That's pretty good, especially if you can get a game in half hours. It's a nice start up to the evening, into the evening kind of game as yep. well. Awesome. Another game that, uh, that I purchased, actually, after we had Paul onto the show a couple of weeks back, uh, which was Who Should We Eat? Jason we... got there first. I got there first. You said in the podcast that one of us would own it, and we did. Uh, It was me, and it had to be me, really, because that game screams me. (laughs) The opportunity to screw players over and even eat them. (laughs) Awesome. Can't really complain at that. Again, haven't had a chance to play it. It's only turned up a couple of days ago, so expect to hear more about this game soon.
1: Yep. I've had another lovely package arrive this week as well. Uh, you heard me mention on a previous podcast, I have one of my friends staying in Japan at the moment and he was lovely enough to buy me some of the Digimon cards um, and f- they finally shipped across this week. Quality is amazing. The artwork is just brilliant. Um, i got got three starter sets, a whole booster box of the cards, a few promo bits and bobs and the sleeves to go with them. So all I need now is an English release. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Still no word yet but yeah I was thoroughly impressed with what arrived and I managed to get one of the secret rares in my box so I was pleased
0: I bet you were I bet you were so yeah you're waiting for that English release or you can learn Japanese not really sure which one's going to happen fastest
1: I've got English proxies I can play with but obviously I'd rather actually have the real deal
0: <laughs> yeah I can imagine that and uh, finally the game, another game that turned up for me this week is Harry Potter Death Eaters Rising it is another game from USAopoly it is a re- pretty much a reskin of one of the games we like to talk about quite a lot in Thanos Rising. Um, so, as I said, yeah, it is basically a reskin of Thanos Rising. There's a few differences to the gameplay, but essentially, this one was purchased for me because my son is a Harry Potter nut. He has gone crazy for it, and I do think he will enjoy this game to play with me and the rest of my family. Much like its predecessors, this game you work as part of a team uh, playing as uh, witches and wizards from the famous uh, Hogwarts world, um, and the aim of the game is to stop voldemort from completing his you know big scheme to essentially kill everyone i suppose is what he's really trying to do again haven't had time to play it yet but i think seeing as though we love thanos rising so much i think we'll get to this get this to the table pretty quickly and we'll uh we'll bring you a side-by-side comparison i
1: think yeah the other one is at some point i may end up with the star wars version as well so then we have a trio to compare
0: (laughs) yeah Definitely. So those are the games that have arrived, and uh, no no doubt they will all be seeing the table very soon. But unfortunately, another week has passed, and at the time of this recording, we are still under nasty social life-destroying distancing measures. But fear not, we are gamers, and we must play Games. So, Ian, what games have you played this week? Well,
1: um, I'm actually going to start going back onto the um, computer games side of things. Um, we, As we've mentioned before, we have our regular meets up on the Discord, and with the Steam summer sale at the moment, we decided to have a look on what sort of city games some of our members had, or were going dirt cheap, and we found the hilarious game Dino D-Day, <laughs> yes. which was a war game where some of the soldiers are dinosaurs with weapons strapped onto them. <laughs> yeah. There are hardly any players left because the game is old. But the the price
0: price definitely reflected that, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah
1: i paid a i bought a four pack of the game for about two pounds 30 so that says a lot really the game was so bad it was brilliant
0: <laughs> if we you can imagine the game we were talking about a couple of weeks back uh, with battle base simulator with the whole dinosaurs strapping miniguns to the dinosaurs this is the first person shooter version and
1: it was great
0: it was good fun it yeah. was very good fun unreal tournament with dinosaurs yeah so that, that was a really good game um i actually met up our, our online for an online chat with a few old school friends uh, this week and they were interested in what I was actually doing on the computer at the time because I told them I was on tabletop simulator and you know looking at uh for new games that we could uh, potentially play in the future and the these guys they they're, they're not gamers so it was very hard for me to try and sway them over to the dark side but I managed to do so and I introduced, introduced them to zombie dice uh we talked about this again Uh, I think it was either last week or the week before, but essentially, yeah, like I said, they're not really big gamers, so I needed something simple that they could easily understand, and Zombie Dice just worked perfectly. They got it really quickly. They really enjoyed it as well, so hopefully we'll get them to come over and and play something uh, a bit more in-depth next time but yeah that was uh, that was zombie dice so i managed to get a, a game into that
1: yep so again haven't really had the time to play much on um the way board games of late but i mean you've heard me go on about this again another of my favorite franchises is i love jurassic park and again thank you steam summer sale um many of the expansions were cheaper and i went back to the park builder game jurassic world evolution Um, I was playing it on stream uh, while you guys were playing on Tabletop Simulator for anyone that wasn't able to join um and just generally I've lost a lot of hours in that again I've left it so long it was really enjoyable not the perfect game in the world but it's the best we have at the moment and thoroughly enjoyed it
0: no that's good man that's good so the final game I played this week was actually while you were playing Jurassic World on, on the stream the other day and that was Disney Villainous this is I think I've mentioned it before but it is definitely in my one of, one of my top five games um, right now for multiple reasons the main one being is it is readily available at a very reasonable cost and it steals some of the shelf space from some of the awful games that we don't talk about. So for, for this game uh, we were introducing two new players and I was also playing with another friend who's played a few games of this. It was played on Tabletop Simulator. Now what was actually quite nice about this, there are, there are actually additional characters that are unofficial and what was really nice to see as one of the players was actually using a said unofficial character, it was nicely balanced. So I can't remember the name of the creator at At this precise moment but massive thumbs up for actually balancing a custom modification character i was playing a scar because as far as i'm concerned when you're playing as a disney villain scar is the be all end all no conversation to have about that scar is the best the game went on probably a bit for my liking um but it was understandable because we did have two new players that were learning the game and once they'd learned the game mechanics it sped up a hell of a lot
1: and you were learning to play on tabletop simulator as well
0: yeah, definitely. It is the first time I've played it. On, uh, on TTS so <laughs> overall the game the game was good fun we all had a laugh uh, by the end of the game the two new players announced they enjoyed the game and we'd actually had a discussion about the fact that we have the Marvel version dropping in August and how much we would like to get hold of a copy of that and play it the overall winner was uh, was my friend he, he won as uh, Professor Ratigan, uh, closely followed by uh, Jafar in a, a very close second place I didn't win I never do, uh, but I had good fun anyway.
1: Second place was just that step to Jafar. <laughs>
0: oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the games we played this week, and that game in particular leads us very nicely onto our next segment, and indeed the main topic of our discussion this week, which is what, Ian?
1: How much does intellectual properties, or IP if we've been referring them, actually make a difference in gaming?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. And uh, I think this is uh, It's a pretty hot topic, if you like. Um, As always before we recorded this podcast, we shot out a social media poster. to find out what you guys actually think of intellectual property being introduced and becoming more and more popular as part of the tabletop gaming hobby. And I say tabletop gaming hobby rather than just board games because actually, when we break it down, there is intellectual property that affects all of the tabletop genre, Um, be it from the roleplay, where you are starting to see as we discussed last week, things like Thunderbirds
1: and board games in general taking the role with their own zombie side has a role playing game exactly. as a companion on it's like latest kickstarter
0: exactly um and you know you've got marvel coming into the wargaming side of things very recently with uh, Crisis Protocol, you've got Star Wars Legion, which has been there a fair, a fair while now. With, again, Star say, Wars in general, with X-Wing and Armada. I was going to say,
1: how long has Star Wars dominated the tabletop scene? You know, the the, the wargaming side of it. We've so exactly. got space, combat.
0: And uh, the, the other one, going to the, to the card games. Now, we know Pokemon has been around for a while. Obviously, we've already touched on the fact that Digimon has now got a card game. Transformers. So, there's a lot of intellectual property out there. Um, and they are making their way more and more strongly to be honest, to the tabletop scene. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I think we could, uh, we can have a decent conversation about that.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll start with the social media. And I think this takes the question in general, is there seemed to be a lovely 50, 50 split down the middle on what people thought about IPs, whether they were relevant or not, whether they made a difference to them or not. I'm going to say one thing to start this whole conversation. Me and you are going to be very biased on this front from our own personal views because we're both a sucker for IPs. Yeah. And we'll touch on that a little bit more as we go through, but it, it, I'm curious to see how many sort of people are like us, or how many, you know, and the other side of the fence, you know. How many people get annoyed by IPs?
0: To be honest, I think there's actually quite a few out there. And and from what I've seen from the comments and stuff uh, from our own social media posts, and and including things on uh, Board Game Geek as well, if you've got established gamers that have been playing these games for years, are well invested in the hobby, you know, they're never going to be pulling out of that hobby. They seem not militant against IPs at all, you know. they're, They're accepting of all the hobby, but they're less likely to be swayed on a purchase by the introduction of an IP. Whereas someone who is either new to the hobby or hasn't ever got involved with, say, a modern board game, for example, if they walk past a game and shop and they see Darth Vader or Thanos on the on the front box art they're more likely to pick it up I think
1: I'm definitely guilty of that last one I like my intellectual properties many 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 of them if I see them on a box first thing I do is see what you know what's in that box and I'll be more inclined to try and play some of these games based on that reason however that doesn't mean a game is good because it has an intellectual property attached to it Um, and one of the biggest gripes I've seen lots of people complain about and I actually agree with this is does an IP reskin of a game actually do anything for the game and there are several examples out there I mean coming up we've uh, the Marvel at the moment seem to be grabbing every game they can get their hands on (laughs) and painting their stuff all over the top of it
0: oh yeah yeah without a doubt Um, I think Thanos is the the most well-known box art at the moment, isn't he?
1: Yeah. Again, we've already touched today. We love the game Thanos Rising, which started as an IP game. There's now three different versions of it, all different, all with different rules. But they are effectively a reskin of the game. You've got Thanos Rising with the Marvel IP, you've got Starkside Rising with the Star Wars IP, and you've got... Death Eaters Rising. Death Eaters Rising.
0: With the Harry Potter IP. Yeah,
1: but again lots of games out there that we've taken a look at or taken a chance on because the boxes are nice and shiny and have pretty artwork with things we love. Nostalgia is a huge push and a huge drive, but it doesn't mean everything. You know, we've had a lot of modern games that are doing really, really well at the moment um, that made a big name for themselves for not being attached to anything, yeah. You know big, big the the likes of the big things like Gloomhaven, Scythe, terraforming Mars. These are all big name games, just smashing it out there at the moment.
0: Yeah, they've created their own IP. That's, yeah, that's the thing, and their IPs have have become ginormous. Look at me with Zombie fact. Side. Exactly. You, you you touched on that a little bit earlier. Now Zombie Side, what when it first came along didn't? you know it was its own IP, and now it's created its own IP. You're starting to get. Bleed into other genres of the tabletop game with, with regards to the roleplay. In fact, they have their own version of that. But then you also had other games that sort of saw what Side had done. And essentially, I suppose you could say they tried to copy it, if you like, with another game that I know you're very experienced with, which was The Walking Dead No Sanctuary.
1: Yeah, that game is another love-hate game for me. That is the perfect example of people like me being suckered into an IP they love and hold dear and running with it and I kickstarted that game. I put an awful lot of money into the Kickstarter for that game and unfortunately that's one of the few that's really bitten me back. There was a, It was plagued just by silly errors throughout the entire campaign and the game itself is actually quite a fun game eventually and my key bit on that last bit is the rulebook is literally the worst rulebook I have ever read. Uh, one of my close friends, shout out to Alex, he's really good and really quick with rulebooks. took me and him an hour and a half to learn to play the first. Turn. Wow. Because we could not find what we needed to find in the rule book. And it was in one tiny segment. And silly things like the cards have symbols on them. The rule book has text. Nowhere does it link that text and the symbols, which would have made us five minutes to find something instead of an hour. Yeah. And even the miniatures were plagued. You know, I've got Shane and his snaky shotgun, which would never fire a bullet in a million years. <laughs> or the governor and his um, 20 meter long arm. Um, <laughs> but. It's a shame because that game doesn't see the table as often as it should No, um, for that reason. But the IP suckered me in and I took that chance. And again, I suppose there's there's another question to sort of come up is how much does an IP affect Kickstarter as well?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, one of the things really when you're talking about IP and and games or or IP in general, um, as soon as you start introducing an intellectual property, the cost goes up goes up to the consumer but it also goes up for the company that's uh, that's using that IP you know they have to pay for the rights of that and then the other thing that i think is is a negative but could also be a positive i suppose is actually the pressure of having an ip attached to it, something like a game because i can i can well believe that say you got an ip from universal off the top of my head universal they're going to put pressure on you to get that game out as quickly as possible you know as soon as they know that they've given you the ip they're going to want to see it seeing a return on it as quickly as possible and if game developers are rushed in creating a game um, that's based on an intellectual property i can just see shortcuts being taken i can see things being rushed Things being
1: overlooked. We've got some really good examples of this. One example is a Kickstarter campaign that actually turned out brilliantly, Um, apart from long delays, which is a common thing with Kickstarter anyway, was my Sonic the Hedgehog Battle Racers game. The very last character they gave to us as a Kickstarter um, stretch goal didn't have any imagery to go with it because they hadn't got it signed off by that point. It was provided to us and it all came and then looked stunning. But it was funny because that last character... Never made it onto the Kickstarter campaign, even though we were told we were getting it. Yeah. Um, which was funny. And another one that is a one where, again, a negative one, was the Kung Fu Panda game. That game just feels incredibly rushed, which may have been to fit deadlines. But unfortunately, it feels like a half-finished game. Yeah. Which is a shame, because the company that made it also made one of our favourite games, which we brought up again and again, is the Thunderbirds Co-op game. Yeah. so we had high expectations from this game and this is an example of a game reskinning itself I paid for the extra so the base game is based off of the first movie Kung Fu Panda movie and that is pretty much it and then um, these stretch goals and stuff I got a bigger pledge that gave me the villains from the second and the third movie as well as some of the characters from the third movie and you've got character cards for the masters but the villains that they gave you literally they just said use the same stats as the original villains yeah. so it is literally a case of pull one piece out and replace it with a different looking miniature yeah i found that there, there, there's, shocking there's
0: no it's almost as if they've put they've not wanted to put enough any effort feels, into even making the game have any kind of replayability because you, you're essentially playing with the same rules what miniature is on the table is irrelevant is neither here nor there it's, it's completely irrelevant so yeah it, that that definitely sounds like pressures to me for, for multiple reasons
1: yeah, The other thing is you've got to remember who your target audience is when you hit with an IP. Yeah. A game can easily be developed as a generic thing, but then if you apply for an IP and get it, you might have to tweak your game to match the players you have. good example is if you took a um, young child's television IP of any description um, and you ran with that, you've got to be able to make sure your game can actually be targeted for the younger audience. So if you have too many complicated rules, your game's for bust.
0: <laughs> yeah and uh, again i think a, a good example of that to be honest is a game that i know we both own uh which is wacky races it is a nostalgic game for for us without a doubt but also wacky races is still produced to this day slightly different and more terrible but it is still produced um so kids like it which means that is instantly into a family game category and it's a racing game yeah you know, there's so many racing games out there that they could have made those rules really complex for uh, yeah avid gamers but they knew that families were going to want to play this game so rules have to get changed as you said and we ended up with what is still a very very good game but it is very simple uh, you touched on another game a couple of seconds ago which was thunderbirds now this one is a very good example i feel that we can bring up because thunderbirds is one of our favorite games it's a great cooperative based game brings back that nostalgic ip for us we both watched thunderbirds when we were kids we all love thunderbirds it It obviously shares a lot of similarities, if not a carbon copy, of the original Pandemic, which is a modern classic.
1: I wouldn't say it's quite a clone of it, but they do have a very similar style of gameplay. Yes. And again, to the point where early on in my gaming collection, my friend bought Pandemic and I had Thunderbirds, so I never felt the need to get my own copy of Pandemic. Mm. And it's only recently that i started to look at doing that. And both play incredibly well, and are both well. I don't even say both going to end up being classics. A lot of I know so many people that own both. Yes. But it shows how you might get more gamers trying Thunderbirds because of the IP attached to it, and then you could probably get them hooked on Pandemic quickly afterwards because they like the theme of the game.
0: Yeah. And the best thing about that game, it would work both ways. Yeah. You, know, you might get a lot of gamers that have played Pandemic and love Pandemic. Why not try the Thunderbirds? You know, they are so closely matched, you know, and the fact that one has an IP on it and the other one doesn't really makes no difference. Now, Pandemic is actually a very good example of how popular a game can become without being attached to an IP. Yep. To the point that you could argue Pandemic, in fact, there is no argument, Pandemic is a more popular, well-known, modern board game than the Thunderbirds.
1: Easily, easily.
0: Yet, you know, would you say that having the IP attached to it is what actually hindered it, or is it the, just the fact that Pandemic came first?
1: I think Pandemic's a lot more established, so it's it's a word of mouth thing and a recommendations thing. It's Pandemic falls in that um, I, don't want to, I almost don't want to say it's an entry-level game, but unfortunately it falls into that category of such well-known classics that it's along the Ticket to Ride, Catans, um, Carcassons, that people recommend straight away when I, I've tried a game, I got into gaming, what, do, what should I play next? Yeah, um, And for good reason. It's one of the best ones out there.
0: Couldn't agree more on that
1: one. So let's have a look. Um, just beyond board games, you know, Wargaming's had a massive increase. We've mentioned before, you know, like the, the most well-known stuff for Wargaming, gaming always seems to come to mind for me is the games workshop stuff yes even they got themselves into licensing with the lord of the rings
0: they did indeed yes um yeah.
1: that was them sort of countering the ip war for a little while when um fantasy flight for a long time have had the licensing for war gaming for star wars x-wing has been immensely popular there's nothing more drawing for me when you walk past like a, a board game shop and you just see this massive table full of Starfighters going <laughs> at it more recently armada again Lots and lots of capital ships all lined up. Yeah. But again, originally being Imperial Assault and now into Star Wars Legion is the equivalent of playing Warhammer 40K sort of thing, thinking, but I like Star Wars, you know, and yeah. flooding yourself out with stormtroopers instead of aliens, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's definitely the case. And, and, again perfect example would be myself you know when Star Wars Legion first hit the scene I was still into the war game scene I was Warhammer through and through as soon as I saw that there was a Star Wars version of that game you know I could play as Darth Vader I could have a load of you know lovely crisp white stormtroopers that I then realized I had to paint white and immediately had nightmares but the point was is I could own my own empire army As well as the the Rebel stuff as well.
1: I was about to say, we all know it should be the Rebel Alliance.
0: (laughs) But I I bought into the game. I I bought into the game, and it did have a bit of a slow start. I'm not going to lie. It had a very slow start, mainly because you had two factions. That was it. You had two factions for its initial release, and even to this day, there's not that much. They've only really introduced maybe another two. Um, But obviously, what joined joined last year was Marvel. Marvel joined the, the wargaming community with crisis protocol and again sucker for ip i bought into that and i have bought every single model to date the downside of this and i could probably do a whole episode on this alone but the real downside that you will always find with that ip touched on earlier is Cost. There, there is something to be said when the well-known company of Games Workshop, who everyone loves to tear into, of around their pricing structures. When Games Workshop is better value for your plastic <laughs> miniatures than a company producing Crisis Protocol, there is definitely something to be said about that.
1: Not triggered at all, are we?
0: I'm not triggered about it at all. Just you know, there's a lot of money invested here. <laughs> um, you know, and give you a rough idea. And and I can only say that it's down to that cost of them having that intellectual property you know the Thanos miniature has just hit the shops retail prices about 60 something pounds for a single miniature yet for the same price in Games Workshop, the expensive ones, you can get a Start Collecting Army box for that money.
1: Well, you can get an entire PlayStation 4 or Xbox game for that money.
0: Exactly. you know, And we're, and we're trying to sort of push this whole thing that you know tabletop games is, is a better, cheaper hobby than going for something that's going to give you two to three hours enjoyment.
1: Let's face it, most of the board games we buy come under the £60 mark.
0: Yeah, for the most part. And if they go above that, they're usually hundreds and hundreds of miniatures so you know you're getting your value still with those miniatures so now i can personally speak from experience you know we we, we've talked about it in our in our introduction episode i would never have gotten involved in board gaming if it wasn't for an intellectual property-based game. Again, the name's coming
1: up again. I've got to chuck a quote in here. Where did that lead you? Back to me. <laughs> Thanos Rising came back out. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: And that, that's the honest truth. You know, I had no interest in board gaming whatsoever. But I had a fanatical love of Marvel. So to have thanos rising introduced to me to get me into gaming and as soon as i played it i was hooked you know i went and bought the game and then i then i found myself playing more and more more and more intellectual property based games after a few months of this it suddenly hit me that actually there were games out there that i'd not even taken a second look at because they weren't appealing to me but the reason they weren't appealing to me is because they didn't have that property attached to them there was nothing to hook me but now i was experienced in playing modern board games and getting used to the mechanics of a modern board game suddenly i was interested in other games so we refer to a lot of games as gateway games is ip potentially the real gateway
1: we've seen a lot of companies use this as well good one is the funko brand at the moment they have started a hell of a lot of um, ip games at the moment they've got their own board game franchise sort of started up using funko's as the board as you know as the characters in the game so not only is it selling more and more of their funko's it's selling the pop the figures but it's allowing people to use some of their beloved ones in amongst the game and mixing every franchise under the sun
0: yeah Yeah, that a doubt, And we will be playing that game at some point soon as well, because I do have to.
1: again, I'd like to clarify as well, you know, there are many, many games that I thoroughly enjoy that don't need an IP attached to them, you know, or have even become their own intellectual properties. So I definitely don't want this whole thing to sound like intellectual property is the way forward, because that seems to be where the market seems to be going at the moment. And as I stated earlier, there is the negative where you can burn out an IP. I think we joked about it earlier, but even I am starting to get fed up of seeing Thanos on the front of everybody. Yeah. The Disney villainous Marvel expansion. It's got five villains in it, but the box art is Thanos. Again, Again. Yeah. you know and i can name several you've got Thanos rising splendor's got Thanos on the front of it there's marvel love letter that's all about Thanos and the infinity stones you, you know the villainous with it's got him as the headline act again it, it's almost too much yeah and you know this is coming from a huge marvel not sitting here in a spider-man t-shirt right now you know it's um i love to see all of these things but i think there needs to be some sort of balance in it as well
0: yeah yeah i do t- I t- agree um it uh, again like i say we're both Uh, Marvel nuts however I am I'm getting to the point I am burnt out I'm burnt out of Marvel games and I know I said earlier I'm genuinely looking forward to the Marvel villainous but really I I cannot play it you know I'm at a point where I've played so much um, Marvel games that I, I can I cannot play this one I've got I've got my villainous I've got all the expansions for it I would I would be happy if they didn't release Marvel at all and just focused on the classic Disney films, and give me more villains, you know, more expansions. Happy with that? Love it. But
1: but this is how you pull some people into, you know. I'm I, again. I'm I'm a perfect example for this. I grew up as a Warner Brothers fan, not not Disney. Mm. So I don't have the nostalgic love to a lot of the Disney movies that most people have. I enjoy them like everyone else, but I don't have that attachment to them. You know, when it came to the old school cartoons, I was always Bugs Bunny over Mickey Mouse. You know, so for me, the Marvel IP is far more interesting than half of the villains. Like, I didn't even recognize some of the villains you guys were talking about when playing on um, Discord on Monday. Yeah. As I was sort of sitting in the background listening to it all. Um, So, again, it it swings and roundabouts on that front. You know, we're proving proving our counter arguments to everything all the time just with us two alone. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. that that is the beauty of this discussion and this argument, and that is IP is as good for the hobby as it is bad.
1: It's a gift and a curse.
0: Exactly. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that, quite frankly, some of the biggest games that have come out in the past few years have not been attached to IP at all, and they have done phenomenally well, making millions and millions of pounds, and it's left other games that do have IP attached to them in the dust.
1: We got a great example for this. So again, with the nostalgia both of us have for Jurassic Park, Dinosaur Island and Dinogenics swiftly afterwards, both had the Jurassic Park theme basically of park building, build your park up, build amenities, PVP, build the best park you can out of what's in front of you. Then shortly after this, Ravensburger released the official Jurassic World game. You bought that and it was awful.
0: It was, Yeah. yeah. It's Again. very hard for me to say that to be honest about Ravensburger because they are doing some phenomenal games at the moment, you know, and they are securing IPs left, right and centre. They're almost almost taking on Cool Mini or not for the amount of IPs they've got. You know, coming this month alone, you've you've just had the Jaws game drop. You've got the Back to the Future game dropping in about a week's time. You know, and you know, they they came up with Villainous. They and Minecraft. You know, and Minecraft. They've got the Minecraft game. You
1: know, there's there's so much coming from them. To be fair to them, though, this Jurassic World game is a few years back now.
0: It is. It was probably one of their few game, uh, first few. I don't know. Some of
1: their early ones were board games of yesteryear, like in the '90s, where you got an IP based game that was churned out for family market just to keep the kids entertained because it had the theme on it. Yeah. This Jurassic World game was fun to a degree. You know, it was maintain the park by dice rolling but every character only had like one trait better than another so it didn't feel like whoever you played made a difference Mm. and it was very luck-based but when we'd come off the back of two games that were park building themed games that sounded fun and were fun and then this game that sounded like a cooperative sort of park maintenance game which it just wasn't yeah we were quite shocked and again it can show how we got suckered in if we if the game hadn't been so expensive we might have enjoyed it more But they retailed at something silly like forty pounds. Yeah, and all you got. I think
0: think when I bought it, I actually paid fifty. Yeah, and you've just got actually more. A cardboard
1: mat with no minis. Yeah. You know, as I said, it was a couple
0: of really, really lightweight wooden dice that just weren't that great, and a couple of tokens. That that was it. There was next to nothing in it, and it wasn't even like there was really good artwork. You know, you were you were paying for the fact that it had the Jurassic World logo on it, and yeah, it, it. I was really upset about it. To be completely honest, because I would played Dinogenics and I loved it. I played um, Dinosaur Island, which I also liked. And I wanted my own. Unfortunately, at the time, they were still Kickstarter exclusives. And then I found that Jurassic World one. And at the time, I was on some IP-only based buying spree. And I bought it. And it's one of the biggest regrets I've ever had. To be completely honest, I've played it maybe three or four times in the entire time I've had it. And other than sitting there with a nice Jurassic World logo on the box, that... that that box art is
1: now getting covered in dust. The problem is it's an okay game and when we have so many other fantastic games to choose from an okay games never going to come off the shelf. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, yeah, another perfect example that intellectual property just isn't always the best way forward. Now, that was probably my story of, you know, I was suckered in without a doubt with with that IP. What games, if any, Have you purchased just purely on the fact that it was an IP you liked? Maybe you didn't even look at what the game was going to be like. Um, We already know about the The Walking Dead Kickstarter mishap. But has there ever been a game that you've gone to in a local gaming store, for example, seen a game that says... The IP you love and you ended up buying it. Not so much
1: gaming stores, but this is one of my biggest weaknesses on Kickstarter is I will see an IP I like. I'll have a quick look at the game, but I'll probably have already committed to it without, you know, before I press the buy button. Some have been great. Some have been terrible. Good example is, I mean, Sonic Battle Races. Yeah. I threw a stupid amount of money at that in the hope that it was good. Thankfully, that game turned out to be worth every penny. Yep. What other one? Splat Attack was another one. Another hit and miss game, because it should really be a really good game. Yeah. But it's been plagued by errors rather than a bad game.
0: Another really bad rule book.
1: Yep. And again, Kung Fu Panda, me and you both threw money at that because we both like Kung Fu Panda. And what little they showed of us sound like enough to to tempt us but it, it was a disappointment yeah. um, again um, I'm not a huge war gamer you know we've established that before but I bought Star Wars Armada because I love Star Wars I do enjoy that game It's does I don't get to play it as often as I like because of the cost of getting all the ships and the time it's a very long game per game yeah
0: takes up a lot of space as well.
1: Yeah, but again, I love that. And I've had to resist the games for the same reason. You know, um, I have the Pokemon card game as a hobby. One collectible game is expensive enough to fund without adding in more. So things like X-Wing and Armada, I'd love to have got X-Wing as well. But I chose Armada because I prefer the bigger, bigger capital yes, ships. Yeah. And I knew I couldn't fund both. Yes. Then, you know, with everything else I want to buy, it would just rule out any other board games that, you know, my Pokemon habit. Yeah. so I had to be careful in picking and choosing what I wanted to do with that and again even recently when you got Crisis Protocol I was tempted because I love the art I love Marvel you know I love the IP I'd love to actually sit and paint some Marvel miniatures and stuff so I don't have any really to do that with yeah. but I knew it would be a money pit not in a bad way but when I when I have other sort of fronts I want to fund as well, I left you to that one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Love you I so went, much.
1: I went down the Marvel Champions route instead. <laughs>
0: uh, I wouldn't mind that, but obviously I still have to fund my Legendary Habit as well.
1: So. well we know Champions is better.
0: <laughs> well, that's another episode altogether, that one. Now, if you go down the IP route, you really are going after a niche audience. Um, whereas if you go for a generic theme, you may not get the people that are solely based for IP, um, but you you more appealing to your average gamer, Yep. if you like.
1: You need the balance of both. You need the big IP games to come through and help get people into gaming. You need the big IP games to satisfy those that just love their own intellectual properties. But you also need the ones that still stay well clear to show that there's more to gaming than IPs and that you're not constrained by having to follow the rules and regulations of an IP
0: So, I mean, in summing up, to be honest, the way I've always looked at this is we are very biased. You know, we both love our IP-based stuff, but we also have our fair share of games that are not intellectual property based. The whole genre, the whole of tabletop comes together as one big jigsaw puzzle. And if you take out IP-based games, there's going to be massive holes in that jigsaw puzzle and vice versa if you have nothing but IP-based games you're going to have even probably even more yeah. of the jigsaw puzzle missing. And nobody wants an unfinished jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw puzzle is at its best when you've completed it, and as a whole. We touched on in episode, I think it was number two, where we are potentially in a second golden era of board gaming. And IP-based games are part of that. And it doesn't matter how we feel about it, that's the way it's going to be. And... To be honest, it's probably gonna get more and more so. However, I would also urge people to go out there and actually try the non-IP based games, because to be honest, some of them are the best games you can play. You know, we've touched on a couple of them during this, but the you know, some of the behemoths that have come out in, in the form of, like you said, Gloomhaven, Scythe, Rising Sun, you know, Dead of Winter. Not one of those is an intellectual property-based
1: game, yet they are phenomenal. But even all the entry-level gateway games, none of those are. Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, Carcassonne, um, Pandemic. There are some IP versions of some. Settlers has a Star Trek version, and I know Carcassonne has a, a Star Wars version, but those are only recent yeah um you know the base games i'm still waiting for a thomas the tank engine ticket to ride
0: oh yeah with that <laughs> done and i will be all over that yeah but
1: again you know e- even interesting things like some ips you'd never think of like my copy of ticket to ride we mentioned before was the yeah. Marklin one which is a train company you know yeah. model railway yeah it's still an company. intellectual property yeah and again i was suckered in for that
0: yeah so yeah so guys have you ever been drawn in by an IP on a game? Was it a positive or a negative experience for you? Do you find you have soured to IPs being introduced so strongly into the hobby? We really would love to hear your opinions about your experiences with intellectual property. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter by searching for The Podcast with Crawley Gaming Community. You can also email us at crawleygamingcommunity@gmail.com. at gmail.com
1: That is all from our main topical discussion today. So we're going to pass you over to the man with a plan over at the cgc newsroom and we'll see you guys in a few minutes over to you paul
2: well hello everybody and welcome back to the news um i certainly hate to be the bearer of bad news but i have sources that tell me we're set for a bit of a price increase on a lot of games and when i say a lot i mean most the main distributor of board games especially in the uk is asmodee and they've announced a price increase of between five and fifteen percent on a majority of their games admittedly this information was released back before the world went into lockdown but don't blame covid for it although it doesn't help with the world's struggling economy um it as my day say their prices have gone up per game by 10 to 15 percent, which they can't ignore especially with the lengthy period of economic problems for currencies across the globe they've started to recalculate their prices and uploaded the first batch of new prices Although the prices of games Asmodee currently have in stock will not run out until they have to restock. Only then will they incur the price increase. And Asmodee have said they will still be honouring the prices on existing pre-orders. So that's a good sign for our FLGSs for the time being. Next up we have Catan World Explorers. Catan Studios would like to welcome you to its Upcoming massively multiplayer augmented reality mobile game transforms the entire Earth into one giant game of Catan. That's right, we can harvest, trade and build in the real world as we transform cities and landmarks into settlements where you can collect resources, construct buildings and score points for your faction. You can explore your own neighbourhood and collect those classic Catan resources. Some resources may be abundant just in your region, while others you'll have to find further afield. Or ultimately, trade for. You'll befriend and bargain with in-game Catanians and complete quests as you explore. So, if you do see some chap running down the road shouting, I've got wood, I've got wood, just check he's not testing the beta before you call the police. Over to Pokemon now and an exceedingly rare Pokemon Super Secret Battle number one trainer promo holographic trading card. That was a mouthful. One of only seven known to exist, sold for record breaking ninety thousand dollars at auction on July the 9th. It was part of a public auction of comic a comic art held by Heritage Auctions. Collectors consider the trainer promo card possibly the most sought after card and arguably one of the rarest cards in the entire Pokemon training card game. Equated to one of Willy Wonka's golden tickets, the holographic trainer card allowed the owner preferential entrance to a secret gaming tournament the finals of which took place on August 22, 1999 in Tokyo. The 1999 card is graded as Gem Mint 10, meaning the rarity is in the finest condition of any such card offered at auction. Owners only found out the location of the private game after winning one of the cards in one of the seven regional tournaments. The particular card was given to one of the seven first place winners, meaning there are only seven of these cards in the world. The artwork is by Hideka Kazama, a Japanese artist whose work has appeared on three trainer cards over the years. The card with text in japanese reads the pokemon card official tournaments champion is recognized here and this honor is praised by presenting this card you may gain preferential entry into the super secret battle the pokemon's super secret battle number one trainer card was one of several lots of high end rare playing cards and sealed card packs offered at the auctions an additional highlight included a pokemon first edition Neo Genesis set sealed booster from 2000 which sold for $15,600 the increasing racial and ethnic tensions in the world has made its way to board gaming in the form of the banning of racial and ethnic slurs from the north and Americans, Scrabble Players' Associations, Official tournament word list. The word slur has a number of meanings in English, but the one that has concerned Scrabble aficionados and Hasbro, who owns the US and Canadian trademark for the popular board game, means a derogatory or insulting term applied to a particular group of people. The NSPA have announced that all derogatory language will be removed from the official word list after intensive deliberation followed by an online poll. The NSPA's word list is used in competitive tournaments which is different than the Merriam-Webster Official Scrabble Player's Dictionary. While Hasbro has no say over NSPA's list, they say they have worked to eliminate offensive words from the dictionary with every new printing of it, amending the rules that appear in every Scrabble box, adding to make clear that slurs are not permissible in any form of the game. A statement from Hasbro also read, hasbro gaming is rooted in community and bringing people together we are committed to providing an experience that is inclusive and enjoyable for all after discussions and poll nspa's advisory board ultimately voted to remove 236 words from its official list over to kickstarters now and game that's already out and live at the moment is The Shivers. Have you ever wanted to play a pop-up book? Have you been searching for a game that is filled with magic and mystery? Is your gaming group looking for something quick and fun without pages and pages of rules? Then look no further. It is a truly one-of-a-kind tabletop experience that features the magic of handcrafted pop-ups combined with just the right amount of spooky puzzle-solving mystery and role-playing. It uses its patent-pending modular pop-up system. The mystery will unfold as you and your friends explore a magical mansion as one of the members of The Shivers family. Each episode takes about an hour to pay cooperatively with one person taking the lead as the storyteller once players finish one episode a quick change of the system reveals the next story which will be completely new and unique filled with new clues puzzles room layouts and foes to vanquish it's live now it's for two to four players takes 30 to 60 minutes to play Uh, spirits of the forest has a reprint and new expansion launching on the 21st of july in spirits of the forest players represent the four elements that nourish the forces of nature up to four players can complete to acquire the most spirit symbols which are bound to a different element of nature each turn a player drafts up two spirit tiles from the forest collects tokens moves places or recovers gemstones players continue to take turns till all tiles have been collected from the forest at the end of the game players score nature points for each spirit of which they have a majority whoever has the most nature points at the end of the game wins the expansion entitled moonlight adds a scenario based two-player co-op a solo mode and an alternative multiplayer variant that can be played up to four players the expansion also includes a scenario journal allowing you to experience the moonlight journey with different scenarios that will change the puzzle solving strategy it adds nocturnal creatures they will become a fundamental part of the game as their position in the forest will decide which tiles you would get access to during your turn moonlight bits are little creatures which allow you to score points at the end of each scenario finally a new set of moonlight tiles that will add to the current game selection they'll be used in selected scenarios and in the multiplayer variant of moonlight. Their roles will change depending on the scenario you are playing. Again, that's live on the 21st of July for one to four players and takes about 20 minutes to play. And lastly, we have Token Terrors Battlegrounds. In Token Terrors Battlegrounds, two players each draft an army of 10 token terrors from a variety of factions and use them to completely eliminate their opponent's army on the 7x7 battleground grid. Through strategic movement, well-timed attacks and clever use of each faction's unique ability, one army will conquer the battleground and reign victorious. The combat strategy battle game is deceptively simple with a remarkable strategic depth the combat is packed with decisive choices action point management area and control press your luck and sometimes a bit of puzzle solving battles rage between fearsome factions on the continent of terror and you must command your army to crush your opponent in savage skirmishes again that's live on the 21st of july it's for two players and it's 20 to 40 minutes of play length. Thank you again, guys, for having me back, and I'll hand it back to you. Thanks for that, Paul and thank you
1: guys for joining us once again for another episode of the podcast with Crawley Gaming Community. If you did like what you hit heard, please do write us a review and grace us with a five stars on Apple Podcast. Share and subscribe and follow on all your favourite podcast services.
0: If you do want to support the show, we do not accept your money. However, we would love to see you wearing one of our new t-shirts available now on Amazon.co.uk. Take a selfie, tag us on any of the social media platforms
1: and finally why not come to chat with us or join us for a game over on our discord channel the links are constantly being updated on the social media sites if you cannot find it drop us a line and we'll send you our own personal invite
0: well guys that's all from us we hope you have a great week and we will see you all again next week for more of the podcast recorded gaming community Bye bye bye